Okay, freaks, this is the guide to your psychopath. This podcast is not about me telling you how you're fucked up. I'm here to learn about your past and how it affects your decision making. I've been studying people for a long time now, but I've never asked them about how their mind goes through the process. I want to read your guide. I want to know how you think and feel. This will not be edited to take snippets out of context, but I believe everyone will benefit from hearing all of the conversation. Learning your guide will make it better for me to understand you. Welcome to the Guide to Your Psychopath. This episode, we have the beautiful Nati. She's going to entertain us with her story about her life. Uh, good morning. How are we doing today? We're doing very well. Hello. So, uh, Nati, the way I do this is uh, I just want to have a conversation with you, uh, go over uh, your experiences, your past, uh, and then how it's leading you down your current path in life. Uh, but what I All like right. to do is um, I like to start from the beginning. Do you know where your mom was born? Yes, she was born in Vacaville, California, um, at the Army base there, or Air Force base, I believe. Okay. And your dad? He was born in Juarez, in Mexico. Ju- in Juarez, Mexico. And where mm-hmm. were you born at? I was born in Clovis, California. What is your earliest memory that you have? Oh, that's a good one. I do know what it is, though. Okay. Um, I think my mom said that I was just over one years old and I was in a crib at a daycare. And I remember watching her leave the room while I was in the daycare next to all the other cribs. And I remember feeling sad. <laughs> really? Uh-huh. You yeah, remember- I you remember I one do. year old? Yep, I do have that memory. Wow. And I can still see it. Like when you asked me, I could visualize it. Yeah. I could still see her leaving. You still remember the paint in the room and what the crib looked like? It was, a, so everything was mostly white. Um, I think also because the daycare, I went to that daycare until I was, I think like maybe eight years old or around that time. So, I mean, I was around that room in that environment for older, um, where most people would still have have their first memory. So I think that that's why I can still remember it. Oh, okay. Was there yeah. a lot of kids that were there with you? Um, in that room, I think there were maybe like less than five at the time. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there were other kids. Do you remember fond memories of that place or was it... What do you remember yeah. about that place? I actually do have really fond memories. I think because I'm more of a social person and I think my parents putting me into daycare so young um, was kind of how I developed a lot of my personality traits to this day. Um, and I still, um, I have a memory of one of my best friends growing up who I met at that daycare and I stayed friends you know, up until, so she actually passed away when we were younger, but I, you know, I stayed in contact after the daycare. So I think that that, you know, really says a lot about how much that place, you know, meant to me. Huh. So yeah. they really good people taking care of uh, really good kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually one of the workers um, ran into my mom about, I want to say a few 
months ago and she remembered my mom and she said, Hey, I used to work at this, that daycare. And I remember your kids and you, and my mom was like blown away and she told me about it. And I thought that was really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Usually sometimes you get people that deal with the same type of, you know, sometimes naggy kids or whatever, and they, they lose their, passion for uh, what they do but uh, obviously that person and most of the people there it sounds like they uh, did a really good job yeah yeah I was I thought that that when she told me that story I thought the same thing so when you were growing up um, did you ever play outside did you ever uh, play with the neighborhood kids or what what was your childhood like I would say with the neighborhood kids, as I got a little bit older, I was allowed to, but I think especially my dad, um, he's a little bit more strict about who we hung out with. Mm -hmm. Um, He was a lot more traditional. um, And so I wasn't allowed to have sleepovers or anything like that um, unless he really knew the parents. And so a lot of, actually a lot of the, um, kids that I ended up getting really close to he already knew their parents through his job which he's a doctor Mm. and so it would be like another like a nurse's kid or actually two of them were like nurse's kids um and also I remember one of my friends was my my dad was okay with that family because they were also Latino Mm -hmm. which was really big because I grew up in a mostly white area so, yeah, he was a little bit more picky, but I also spent a lot of time, like, outside doing stuff, too, more so than my brother. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Playing in the dirt or climbing trees? Uh-huh. or Yeah, I used to do all that stuff. I used to also play with, like, we used to have frogs in the backyard, uh-huh. and it was still kind of more towards the country. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I used to, like, take the frogs and like play with them and like watch them. I was one of those kids. <laughs> that sounds like it was an awesome childhood. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Was your brother, did he keep inside most of the time or? Yeah. He was more on like the nerdy side. So we would sit there and like watch animal planet and like discovery channel. And so he knows a lot of random facts about, really smart things <laughs> <laughs> did you guys uh have computers when you were really young yes so because my dad was a doctor and he um he had computers for his office yeah and he would watch us sometimes we would just go sit in the back of the office while he was working because he had a private practice and so he would just let us play on the computers all the time so we started playing with computers probably around like six or seven Nice. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, did you guys, uh, you guys learn how to, all the operating systems, you guys learned all the, the different programs that the computers have? Yes. I think that my brother, he was like a little mastermind. He (laughs) figured out computers way faster than I did. And so, you know, he played around with them a lot, but he figured out ways to like download games and all this stuff onto them um and i was just more the one who kind of played the games <laughs> that i asked him to download 
Nice, nice. So when you were going through elementary school, what was your elementary school like? Um, it was close by, so it was within walking distance. Um, so I remember, uh, I mean, it was nice that my brother and I are only two years apart because we got to spend a lot of time together um, throughout elementary school. I mean, we weren't like like friends, I guess, but it felt it was like comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, if I ever needed him, he was like there, which was really nice. I remember that being like, when I look back on that, I'm like, Oh, it's so nice. that like my brother was there. Um, but I remember being like the kid who I got a lot of awards in elementary school, but I also got a lot of report cards that said like talks too much <laughs> and like, um, is like bossy. Uh, I remember getting that. So, but I mean, I, I really enjoyed like being elementary school and I was like in bands. I started playing like the saxophone um, in elementary and I got, school, like, mm-hmm, yeah, wow. starting in fifth grade. So, yeah, I was involved. <laughs> so you played saxophone, and what else? Um, I didn't start playing French horn until I was fifteen, mm. fifteen or sixteen. But I played saxophone starting when I was uh, ten. Nice. Mm-hmm. Did you, uh, obviously you enjoyed it. Yes. I thought I was so cool with my little saxophone and, um, I, yeah, I really stuck with band. I think it gave me something to, you know, how kids join like sports and it's something that they enjoy, but also a way to like make friends and, you know, have an activity. Yes. That was what band was for me. It, gi- it gives a, a person a confidence of like a belonging to a community. Right. Yeah. 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 And I really formed my identity moving forward around being a band kid. Was it a band geek or a band person? <laughs> Probably I would say a band geek. A band geek. <laughs> And so your your grades were pretty good. You had good friends in high school or in uh, elementary school. What was junior high like? I remember junior high being so uh, like you know what they talk about in the movies and like everything where it's like a huge transition period for people um, to go through. And I really did feel that way um, because in elementary school we kind of like are all together. And, um, you may have different teachers, but you spend like all of your time together, um, for the most part and you, your relationships are very close, but then when you get to middle school and you have all these different classes that you're taking and you're like switching and you're really getting to meet a lot more people at one time. Yeah. And so it gives you more of the opportunity to kind of see like who you want to be and you know you're really heavily influenced by that in that age um and so I remember going through a phase where like one of my friends really liked Hot Topic and so I started wanting to go to Hot Topic (laughs) and you know just like things like that um you know the music that you listen to um the little like rebellious phase um I think that that was pretty characteristic of who I had become in middle school not in a bad way but I'm sure that my parents thought it was weird that I was like wearing heavy makeup and (laughs) things like that, you know? (laughs) 
Uh, being that you had a traditional father, right? And he was mm-hmm. wondering why you were ch- changing so much. Right? Yeah. Yeah, he was. <laughs> uh, what was your mom like? Did she uh, kind of uh, nurture what you were doing or did she hesitate or what? I think in some ways... Um, my mom had to play a little bit of both sides where she really wanted to support me as a girl coming into her own. And she was so supportive of like the band stuff. Like she went to all of the performances and she was like right there in the front. But then at the same side, you know, like that's also when like puberty's hitting. Mm. And I think that my mom got very like nervous about (laughs) the boy situation and she was like you know she became a little bit more helicopter parent Mm -hmm. um at the same time so she was around a lot because she was supporting me but at the same time I feel like she was also keeping an eye on me (laughs) (laughs) and that's the time right when uh kids are trying to uh, not only figure out who you are, like you said, but uh, trying to push the limits, right? Mm-hmm. About uh, who their friends are, who they want to hang out with, how much time they spend away from the house or yep. on the computer, right? Mm-hmm. And so did your grades falter at all when you were in uh, junior high? I think... I, they did a little bit. I remember getting like straight A's all throughout elementary school. And then when I got to middle school, they dipped a little bit. It wasn't like a huge difference. Uh Um, But I definitely became more distracted. And it was like, eh, school, whatever, eh, math, whatever. But I was still like doing okay. Now, you said you lived in uh, like most predominantly white neighborhood. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Was the junior high the same way? Um, it was a little bit more mixed. I think um, because the elementary school was in a close proximity to my house, um, and it was a lot of the more affluent side, but then when you get to middle school, you know, it kind of broadens to the other areas of town. Um, so it was a little bit more diverse, but still predominantly white. And how was that... Uh having a traditional Mexican family, right? Or father. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> did he give you any of his um, presumptions or presumptions about white people or did he let you find out by yourself? Um, I think that for the most part, he just kind of let me figure it out. Uh-huh. Um, because I, didn't, I don't think that I was very, um, like I think that he felt that way. But I don't think that I was sitting there thinking about the racial tension growing up, which is nice. Um, I didn't reach that until high school, but I did face that a lot in high school. But I think that in middle school, I still didn't recognize like the little things that were going on around me in relation to race Mm -hmm. until I was much older. Okay. Nice. So when you were in um, middle school, you still played band? Uh-huh, yep. <laughs> and you guys went to a lot of places? How, did, how was your band? Do you think you guys uh, were, like, really good? 
Did you guys win a lot of awards? Uh, we did win awards. We traveled a little bit, um, not a ton yet in middle school, um, but we did like all the football games and a couple of the local, you know, competitions, but it wasn't a huge deal until I got into high school and doing all that traveling. But in middle school, we still did well. Hmm. Nice. Well, what about high school? When you first got to high school, was that a, a big change for you? I think everything became, all the things that I was feeling in middle school became very exacerbated. Really? <laughs> so I think, yeah, I think that I was still in middle school trying to be like that, you know, picture perfect daughter doing well and like, you know, hiding more of my rebellion um, and, you know, being able to still balance that. Mm -hmm. But then in high school, it was like, okay, this is like what I want to do. This is what I was a lot more sure. I think of myself when I got into high school. So I think the tension with me and my parents just grew to the most it's ever been throughout high school. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh. I could just imagine, because I know your mom, she is a very wonderful woman, and her <laughs> trying to deal with your rebellious rebelliousness <laughs> is a little crazy. Yes, yeah, so we actually, and like my mom and I, I think that we misunderstood each other for a very long time, and I mean, I was always really close to her, like she was, you know, such a huge part of my life, but I think it was like, more because my mom is Asian so I think it was more of like the the distant love rather than like the more friend like relationship that we've grown into now where we're very very close and you know I consider my mom one of my best friends but I think that up until I was an adult I think that it was more of like that distant love where we didn't understand each other but it was like you're my mom and she was like, you're my daughter kind of love. <laughs> yep. Uh, what was the friend situation in high school? Oh, I was chaotic. So I went into middle, I went from middle school into high school with a lot of the same friends. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my, my band friends and a lot of us grew up together from, you know, middle school throughout high school because of bands um, we got to maintain a lot of those relationships they didn't really change a lot I know a lot of people face that in high school where you know a lot of things are happening throughout the four years they drift apart um, yes because you're finding new interests and I think that band really held us together in some ways but then in other ways I think that it created so much more conflict um, because there was no separation. And so every little thing seemed like such a big deal. And, you know, we're so dramatic in high school <laughs> and we think everything's the end of the world. And so I remember uh, one of my best friends who, I mean, I still talk to her to this day, not on a regular basis or anything, but um, she and I, she was in orchestra. So she hadn't really been in bands like she it was like technically different yeah. and then she joined band because she was close with everyone in band 
and we were like trying out for drum major and that was something that I had wanted <laughs> like from like middle school I was like I really want to be drum major and um I got really in my head sophomore year like sophomore year I just completely tanked in every possible way I think and that was when we were doing our tryouts and she ended up getting drum major over me and I remember being so upset I was like betrayed and I was angry and I like had a fight not like a physical fight but like, you know like a girl fight um for like a whole year with her and then yeah Oof. where I was yeah I know I was like I don't want to be friends with her like that was so mean of her instead of like learning how to be like happy for your friends yeah um I think that when you're in high school it's like no one teaches you how to like cope. Yeah. A lot of times, like I think that is we we get so fueled into the conflict and we don't know how to like resolve things very well. No, no, we don't. <laughs> and yeah, and so I think that that whenever I think of like girl fights in high school, I really think of her um, because senior year we like came back together and it was like that was so dumb you know <laughs> like why did we let ourselves get to that point and we stayed friends throughout like adulthood like she started doing her own things like she got married and then um two years ago I actually got to meet her baby for the first time which was really special um but I think back and I'm like wow that was ridiculous that that ever even happened between us <laughs> yeah did you have any other friends uh, that you would hang out with besides, like, in band or, like, just go to the movies or something with? Um, it was really just band kids. I don't think I really had any, like, close friends that I did, really did anything with that weren't in band. <laughs> uh-huh. Because in high school, I had become involved in so many different kinds of bands, so I was, like... I was in concert band, marching band. I was doing jazz band. And then I was doing color guard. Um, so I was really heavily involved in all the music stuff. Nice. And that, uh, what did that do for your confidence? Um, I think in some ways it actually made my confidence a little bit worse um than when I was younger but it also tied into a lot of things that people go through in high school so like my sophomore year I, like there was I was really heavily involved in bands but there was this girl who didn't like me and um she made it a point throughout all of our sophomore year to like really make it a point to not make my life great <laughs> and um she was like really bullying me at uh, certain points and I let it get to me. And so I started withdrawing really hard um, from doing band activities. Like I was still in band, but I think that I just stopped caring. As she much. was in band with you guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was in band with me. And so I had to see her all the time. And uh, I just like stopped trying. I stopped practicing. Um, I was like, I'm not that good anyway. Um, and so, yeah, I just like started withdrawing really hard during sophomore year. 
And then I, that's when I found Color Guard, which is a part of the band, but it's like the people with like the flags yeah. <laughs> and stuff with the marching band. Um, and so I started doing that. And that is where my confidence just skyrocketed. Like I had so much fun in Color Guard. I loved the girls. I loved the instructors. Um, and that became like my new tribe. Like I still have my band tribe, but like Color Guard became like a safe haven for me where like band didn't really cross into all that much. Because she wasn't around. Right. Do you did you ever find out why she was bullying you? What reason would um, are, were you prettier than her? Were you <laughs> It had to do with a boy. So, yeah. So, um, there was this guy who I was, um, we were in the same, like, they call them sections. So it's like all of the people who play the saxophone. And, um, he was older than me. He was like two years older, but they were like together. Like they became together. And I was like, I mean, I was young. I was yeah, I was maybe a little flirty with him, but like it wasn't like I wanted to like be with him or anything like that. And then they got together and she and I were friends. That was the other thing. She and I were friends in middle school and high school. And of course I'm like, okay, whatever. Like they're together, you know, move on. Um, but she, I don't know why she cared so much, but like, and I was, I was like talking to somebody else completely by the time they got together and uh, she just made it a point to hate me. <laughs> she really made it a point to, like, make it to where I was, like, a little ball, <laughs> basically. Um, it was crazy. I don't know why she did that. I'm sure that, you know, if we could have a conversation now, she you know, might tell me that something else was going on. But as far as on my end, I, as far as I know, it was just the boy. So. Did you guys have social media uh, back when you were at that age? A little bit. It wasn't to the point of where it is now. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I think that it'd be insane if it was, (laughs) if I was going through high school right now. Um, But we did have it. Yes. We had like MySpace and Facebook. And you guys, it, it, you didn't get bullied through there, right? It was all, like, in person. Yeah, ours was all in person. Did you ever get, like, physically pushed around or into fights? No, not in that way. It was always verbal. It was, like, cat fights. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did you see a lot of fights uh, at your high school? Um, I mean, there were a couple and you heard about them, you know, like randomly, but I don't think that it was like a characteristic part. I think the high school that I went to was a lot more of hearing about, Oh, this person doesn't like this person. And this person doesn't like this person because they did that, or they're dating this person. It was a lot more of that. Yeah. Soap opera drama. Yes. So (laughs) soapy. (laughs) No, uh, like race riots or, turning against each other or anything like that, right? Oh, I mean, unfortunately, um, there weren't a lot of black people in my school. Like, we pretty much knew who every single black person was. 
um, just because there were so few. And to be honest, a lot of them didn't end up staying throughout their entire time at my high school because the race situation was so bad for them, for some of them. Um, but I do remember for me specifically, I do have like one story with that girl too, where we were, um, it was secret Santa. It was our sophomore year. Is she white? And, uh, yes, okay. she is. Her, and she's from the South. So <laughs> she's originally from the South. She moved here from Memphis, Tennessee. And, uh, so, someone else had gotten me for secret Santa, but the way that we do it, I mean, our band is like over a hundred kids, maybe like 120. And we just spend an entire day going in front of everybody and like doing the gifts. And a lot of times people do like funny gag gifts. Like they're not like serious gifts. Um, but she decided to, she found out who got me Mm -hmm. and she decided to take over what gift they were going to give me. So it got to, that person and you know he said that he got me and he handed me the two gifts and wasn't wrapped or anything and it was in front of everybody and it was a wire hanger and lemon pledge no yes and I was like oh my god and I didn't really know how to react in the moment like I knew it was bad Right. Like I knew that what just happened was really bad, but I don't think that I knew how to react to it. So I just didn't react and no one else reacted. It wasn't, it definitely wasn't like a positive or like funny reaction. Like some of the other gifts I'd gotten that were like, kind of like someone else had gotten like a trash bag full of tissues, um, stuff like that. But this one we knew was bad, but we just didn't know how to handle it because it was so bad. Um, yeah, the, that was like the one time that I, you know, it really stands out to this day that I experienced myself with race in high school. Oh, that is so horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was really bad. Like I tell, I tell people it now and they're like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't realize that at the time how bad that was, but like, it was really bad. <laughs> oh, Wow. Okay. <laughs> was uh, there a lot of uh, Latinos that went to your high school? There were more Latinos for sure. Okay. Um, I think that it was just more of like a lot of us were whitewashed and yeah. we didn't realize the, like, the extent of how whitewashed we were until we were a lot older. Um, but And I didn't sit there and think like, oh, I need to be friends with Latinos or I wasn't very aware of like, oh, my friend is Latino. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, yes, we were there. And I think that also being in bands, for whatever reason, a lot more of like racial minorities were in bands. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so that feels really nice. Like we had a lot of people that were from a lot of different backgrounds, um, that happened to be in band. So it didn't feel as white. Yeah. So you were kind of, uh, isolated from all the segregation that was going on at your high school. Yes. I definitely feel that way. I think that especially with the sports, 
there was a lot more of that. Um, like people who were involved in sports had to face a lot more of being a racial minority. Hmm. Wow. Okay. <laughs> uh, so you get to your senior year in high school and how did that get, uh, how was that? Was that ended up on a positive note? Did you still have a lot of trouble? What was that like? Um, I think my senior year was really, I couldn't have asked for a better one, I think. Um, because, so I, I was with a boy for like three years throughout high school, um, sophomore, junior and senior year. Um, and I think that having that first love who was so stable and, who like really, really cared about me, mm-hmm. I think really formed also like who I am today. But um, he was very much in my life. And, you know, our families like knew each other very well. I did everything with his family. Um, every single holiday, you know, family trip. Um, he used to come over to my mom's every Sunday to eat dinner with us. And um, so I think that my senior year, by the time that I got there, I felt very fulfilled. I was like doing AP classes. Um, and I felt ready for adulthood by that time. Nice. Nice. And so did you, when you graduated high school, did you have, uh, that summer off or did you go straight into college or what, what did you do? So I went straight into working. So I followed in my dad's footsteps and I really wanted to be a doctor back then. And so he said, all right, like put your money where your mouth is, like come work for me in my office. And so I said, okay, I will. And so I think I started like two weeks after I graduated from high school, I started working and he started like basically training me and teaching me, um, things that most people don't find out until like they're in medical school, mm-hmm. which I feel very grateful for that. I got to experience that, but I didn't have a huge break where I got to be a kid. Uh, yeah. 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 That's kind of the, the horrible thing is some of us have to go straight into work. Right. Mm-hmm. Now. Yeah. Let's talk about your dad a little bit. Your dad is not the typical, doctor that uh is like some of these kaiser doctors or some of these other doctors that are uh beholding to the insurance policies right your dad is more along the lines of kind of like the old school he used to visit his patients at their house he made sure that everybody got what they needed whether he billed their insurance or not right right Yeah, he has always gone above and beyond for his patients. Yeah, and so he he did well for himself as a doctor, but not to the fact where he became uh, Beverly Hills rich, right? Right. And so your dad, did he try to instill that in you, or did he, how did he start teaching you? I think. I I feel proud that the one trait that I can say that really connects me and my dad is our empathy for others. 
And I really learned that from him and the way that he treats his patients and the way that he talks to people um, and the way that he cares for people. Um, I think that that is something that I really internalized and I carry with myself um, no matter what, you know, career path I ended up going down that wasn't medicine. But I think that, um, you know, that really stayed with me and will always stay with me in every interaction, not just, you know, patient care, but um, everywhere that I go. Nice. Did you, uh, after when you graduated high school, did you stay with your boyfriend? <laughs> no, we broke up and it was horrible. Our breakup was horrible. Was it? Yeah, it was horrible. So I'll, I can go into it. I don't mind. Because, okay. um, I mean, we're on good terms now. But uh, so I started working like right after high school. And he was actually a year younger than me. So, I mean, he was still in like the sleepovers with friends playing video games all night. And I was like working. And um, and I loved it. It was like, okay, I'm like growing into this whole other person. It was really exciting. Um, but he was still kind of doing the high school stuff, which is totally fine. Um, but I, there, we had another friend who, uh, was a girl and she and I had gotten into a fight also back in high school because she was like being really flirty with my boyfriend. And I was like, I don't like this. And so I told him like, you need to tell her to back off. And so he did. Um, but then we all became friends again. <laughs> and then while I was working, um, I had thrown her a surprise party for her 16th birthday. Um, and I was setting up in the kitchen with her mom, like all the stuff for the party. Our friends were like bringing her over and her mom said, you know, I'm so glad that you and her are spending so much time together this summer like that's really great and I was like what are you talking about I'm like I haven't been spending any time with her I've been like working like all the time you told her mom that yeah that's what I had told her mom and so her mom was like oh she says that she's like always hanging out with you and I was like what what does she mean and then I found out that she had been telling her mom that she was hanging out with me, but she was actually hanging out with my boyfriend. (sighs) Yeah. (laughs) And I left the party immediately. (laughs) And um, we just were like, my boyfriend and I were not on good terms. Cause I was like, why did you hide the fact that you were like hanging out with her? And he was like, so I knew that you wouldn't understand. And I was like, yeah, I don't understand. <laughs> like, why were you hanging out with her? Um, and so we ended up breaking up. And then he got with her like a week later. Yeah. And I had to like, I had to like watch them together because I was volunteering for band when I was in college. Uh-huh. And they were both still in band. So I had to watch them <laughs> together for like the rest of the year (laughs) no yeah it was awful but I got through it 
we all got through it and he and I have spoken since then and we're totally fine. Like, you know, um, we had such a good relationship. I know that it tanked at the very end and like what he did was not cool, but I still feel, you know, very lucky that he was my first love. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, at, le- at least he kind of, while he was with you, he was, uh, nurturing you and helping you out and doing everything you needed him to do, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's awesome. So you get out of high school, you keep working. Did you work there for a long time or how did that go? So I worked there throughout community college for the first two years. And then I was kind of I would just show up whenever he kind of needed me. Uh, my last year in community college, and then I went back in 2020 when the pandemic hit. Oh. So um, I worked on and off at my dad's office for since I was 18, basically. Yeah. So how did that work when uh, the pandemic hit? Did I know you're still young, right? So <laughs> were you able to date did you have a boyfriend at the time did how did did all that social stuff uh work out during the pandemic yeah okay yeah so um when it first hit it was actually right after my birthday so (laughs) i remember getting to celebrate my birthday and i was actually at your in-laws um to celebrate (laughs) i think it was like my 20 what was that 2020 so it was okay so I was 23 uh-huh. and um, so yeah really young and um, I had already graduated from college but it was still like I was in San Diego so of course like it's such a party scene there right yeah and it was I remember it being so chaotic where there were so many of my friends that didn't care and still really needed to be social. And then I had my roommates who we were like, I was the youngest in the house. Um, and they were, you know, like the oldest one was 30. And so they wanted nothing to do with like the party people. And it was like total lockdown in my house. And my friends were like still out like, at each other's houses and like having so much fun on the down low. Um, and I was kind of wavering in between, I think of like really wanting to have fun, but like feeling really guilty and wanting to be responsible because I also had a job at a clinic. So it was like a really big deal to be working in healthcare. And, you know, I felt a much higher sense of responsibility throughout the pandemic. Uh Um, so I was trying to like really not like be wild, um, (laughs) because I was like, this is going to come back and bite me. And that made me so nervous. I think that I, something that has carried with me throughout most of my life has been like that sense of integrity. Yeah. I have like a really strong sense of integrity and I, I'm really horrible at lying. And so I just like, I wasn't terribly social, um, throughout the pandemic. And then 
when I got, I moved home August, 2020. Um, and so that was a thing. Like I was like, okay, like the pandemic has been a couple of months. Like I need to be social. And so I was like hanging out with my old high school friends who also a bunch of us had to move back home (laughs) during the (laughs) pandemic. So, um, there was a lot more of that. Um, I did date one person very short term. It was just like, you know, just while we were here and then I moved to new Orleans for a little bit. So it wasn't nothing serious for sure. Like I, I haven't had any major serious relationships really, except for my first boyfriend when I was like 16. You know, that's, that's hard enough to do when you're trying to even before the pandemic, right? Like when you're trying to get out of high school mode and go into college mode and carry a career at the same time, it's hard to be social. And with you, you had that pandemic thing hit you right in the head, right? You, you were (laughs) kind of split in half. Yes, I totally was. And it it's always felt so weird because I've always been so ambitious and I've always been like career mindset. I want to be doing this. I want to be doing that. You know, a lot of these like ideas in my head. But at the same time, I have to remind myself to like still stay young while I'm able to. Yeah. Um, and I've always had that internal battle since I've you know, been throughout college. And even now I'm only, you know, I just turned 27, but I'm like entering a really serious career and I'm like, man, but I'm still in my twenties. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I definitely felt that though. Yeah. You are ambitious. But you've, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, uh, your mom and your dad have both instilled that in you. Yes, very much so. I think both my parents, that was the one thing that they both gave me. <laughs> that It was like it kind of skipped over my siblings and then it just all concentrated into one of us and it happened to be me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, uh, that's pretty awesome. So yes. you were concentrating on trying to be a doctor Mm -hmm. and you changed your mind I did why is that yeah so I guess I'll go back to the beginning of my career um and go from there because it really does start from the beginning um so I really wanted to care for people I think that's always that's always been the root of my personality is really caring for others And so that's why I wanted to be a doctor. And it made sense to me. And my dad was doing primary care. And I really liked that sense of um, taking care of people more in the sense of their everyday ailments rather than doing cancer or if I was doing cardiology or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I started seeing patterns, though. Even at 18, I'm starting to see, you know, a lot of people coming in with the same things, taking the same medication. And I'm sitting there wondering like, what, where is this coming from? And I learned about, I took a sociology class in my first semester of college. 
And I learned about this beautiful idea called social determinants of health, where like everything outside of your biology that could potentially contribute to the health outcomes that you're seeing. And I really was interested in that. I mean, it just like, it was like, I want to know more about this. Like, I want to know why, like what's affecting these patients coming in here and how can I work towards like educating them on ways to prevent these things from happening to them. And so I was really, really invested in that. And when I transferred to, I already noticed the change in myself when I transferred to UCSD. Um, so I ended up changing my major from doing a more traditional pre-med major where I, you know, I was taking all my pre-med classes. Um, and the typical is like biology, you know, you do biology or something like that. And then you go to medical school. And I said, no, I don't want to do that. I want to learn more about sociology and the ways that the structure of our society impacts health. So my official major was sociology with a concentration in science and medicine. And so I did that while I was at UCSD. I was also in the the honors program for that. And by the time that I graduated from UCSD, I realized that my heart was no longer in traditional medicine. Um, And I didn't really know the words that I was you know, trying to reach out so hard for, I think I felt like I was still grasping at straws. Um, But I knew that traditional medicine and the way that it operates as far as patient care, where like you are mostly dealing with problems. So traditional medicine, someone comes in with a problem and you're supposed to move, you're supposed to be going forward with their story. You know, what do we do next? How do we fix this? I was much more on the side of how did you get here? Yeah. (laughs) How, like, what, what about your environment or, you know, whatever it was caused you to come in to be sitting in front of me? And I was much more on the preventive medicine side rather than the, like, traditional medicine of fixing and I finally figured out what that was my very like last or last quarter at UCSD. And that was public health. And that's what, you know, that's what public health is. It's all prevention. It's all looking at how to better structure society so that, and the public, so that we don't have as much ailments. And so I ended up doing an internship um, with the public health department at UCSD in my senior year and I loved it. I was like, this is like a combination of clinical stuff that I really like still interacting with patients, but also looking more of like a broad look at health rather than looking at health as like just the patient in front of me, but also looking at the population health. And so that's why I ended up switching was just because I think that my head space was always in the preventative side and helping others and caring for health. But I didn't know what the word was for so long of what that was. And then when I did, it was like, click. (laughs) Well, for the, for the longest time, 
you had insurance companies that wouldn't let you get down to the root cause of the problem, right? Right. Yep. And that's a big part of it. Yeah. And so they just wanted to treat and keep treating and, you know, kind of like they wanted to make everybody a repeated customer and just right. keep billing and billing and keep feeding them medicine because that's when they'll come back. Mm-hmm. And that's not and what that's, public. Yeah, that's not what you're talking about is. Yeah, that is not that is exactly why I stepped away from medicine was because honestly, I felt like the morality within medicine was just not it did not align with my morals. I felt that it was way too like economic based and not centered on actual patient care. And, you know, I think that public health at its core is patient centered because it's saying, I don't want you to end up here. I don't want you to have to be on this medication. And that's not what medicine has become. No, not at all. You can even see that uh, by the train uh, derailment, right? Mm-hmm. They can they they're not interested in trying to prevent these people from getting what whatever you know the chemicals that are spilling over right they they're just gonna right. treat them for whatever they have. Mm-hmm. <sighs> that's horrible. Yep. 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 And that's why I just you know it was really hard. I didn't tell my dad for so long that I didn't want to do medicine. I finally told him right before I graduated. And he was, he was hurt. Was he? <laughs> he was, yeah, he was. He was hurt. Um, because I don't think that he really saw that change because I was at UC San Diego. Yeah, and, you were you know, He was back home. Yeah. So I didn't have like these conversations of what I was doing and where my brain was going with all of my classes. And so I was going in the opposite direction of him, you know, in the way that he was taught medicine. And... We've definitely had our disagreements over the years about different health things. Um, but I think that it's become closer together now than it used to be. Well, I mean, I don't I don't understand why he would have such a problem with it. To me, it seemed like uh, an evolution of what he was doing. He was always looking at his patients with more empathy, right? It's mm-hmm. not like, I don't know if you know this or not, but the doctors at Kaiser, they only have 10 minutes to spend with a person. And after those 10 minutes, they have to move on. They have to go on mm-hmm. or whatever, right? They have a time limit. That's not what your dad did. And that's not what your dad showed you. Your dad showed you to be more empathetic and to show, try to get down to the root cause of why this person's getting diabetes or why this person, his uh, liver's uh, going bad or this and that, right? And for right. you, you took it to the next step as tried to involve like the lifestyles or the social uh, social part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's where we differed and only because of how our educations taught us to handle health problems. And that's a huge rift. Like anyone in public health or in medicine will tell you that those two fields are almost like on a battery where you have a, like, I mean, not the connotation, like positive and negative, but like the different sides where they're polarized Yeah. of like, you have one health problem and, you know, 
medicine will go one way and public health goes the other way and they don't always agree. No. It's yeah, kind of like they agree. don't always agree because of the, the political stance. Sometimes that is the case, yes. Um, and it's just the way that we're... So I'll give an example of how we kind of look at things differently. So my dad is, you know, I think at his core, he is a biochemist. That's what he got his degree before he went to medical school. And so he's very, you know, his, the way that his brain thinks is very biology-based, very chemistry-based. You know, there isn't... You, you input an X and you get out a Y. Yeah. Um, he, he has a very, like, mechanical way of thinking about the body. And, um, and for me, I'm sitting here like, I'm more abstract in my thinking of like, well, it's, you know, what, it, what if, what if this, what if this, and he's sitting here like, no, it's because of this in the blood. And, um, so if we're talking about like diabetes, okay, it's a huge one. Everyone in health, no matter if you're in public health or if you're in medicine, you're talking about it, diabetes, diabetes. And, um, I think, you know, for public health, we're sitting here and we're like, okay, let's focus on diet. Let's focus on education. Let's focus on, you know, all these other components and medicine sits there and it goes, okay, well, we, you know, we know that there's a genetic component. Let's really hone in on that. You know, let's provide these medications. Um, and yeah, we'll tell patients that, you know, they should eat better or whatever, but ultimately there is a medication that takes away their symptoms. So why would, like, why would we not utilize that? Yeah. Um, so I think that that's where the big rift is. Oh. Is that, you know, yeah. there's a medication for so many things. So why would you counsel people on prevention? You know, they used to, I remember, I don't remember if it was high school or junior high or whatever, but uh, which was a real long time ago. But <laughs> they used to talk to people about your health. They used to tell you, you know, be healthy, you know, eat right, eat this, eat that, and don't eat so much sugar and blah, blah, blah. Get outside and play and do all this stuff. And I think even uh, I think I even remember Michelle Obama trying to do something like that. Mm-hmm. But they've gotten away from that. Yeah, I think a lot of that, I think it, it's not so much that we've gotten away with it. I think that the conversations have just shifted yeah. in the way that we talk about it. Um, so, I mean, now we've, we're having so many advancements in medicine and there's so much research happening. So, you know, if we're sitting here telling people um, it's all your diet and you should eat healthy, um, then it eliminates all the other possibilities. And I think that a lot of the research, especially in public health, has really started to broaden that and look at, okay, what else could be causing obesity than just diet? So we're also looking at things like sedentary behavior, like sitting a lot and not getting enough exercise and those different components. Um, so not just being healthy in that way. Um, and you know, now we have this whole crisis with like the Ozempic drug that 
Um, basically it's for diabetics, but it helps you lose weight. Um, it helps people lose a significant amount of weight too. It's become very popular in Hollywood and just having like these quick fixes for these things where we used to have to really, really work at them at an individual level. But now we're finding more ways to have these things not be such a burden on the individual where you can just take, you know, this injection and you lose weight instead of having to work out five days a week. So um, I think that that's the difference is that we're just, instead of looking at how to restructure the way that we do things to accommodate a healthier lifestyle, which, you know, would be ideal. Um, instead of doing that, we're trying to figure out ways to cut that corner. Mm, yeah. 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 And I can see that uh, these medical advances sometimes, uh, well, for the most part, they've done really good things. Um, like, let's say for a person that's been going to the gym and working out, I know um, I hear a lot of times that they go, they make sure they get their blood work done and they make sure they're, that they identify which uh, nutrients they're lacking and so they can build on, on actual scientific evidence mm-hmm. instead right. of just guessing. Right. And so, yeah, so when they when they do things like that, that's... That, that's for the better, but yeah, sitting on my couch and then taking an injection so that I can lose weight, that's probably not the best thing to do. Right. So it definitely comes into the territory of like, what is actually better (laughs) Um, for the person? Like, I mean, on one end, the argument for the injection is like, well, you don't have to put in as much effort you know, some people don't have time to exercise that many days a week. Um, you know, there's so many arguments for both sides. Yeah. But, I mean, ultimately, it just has to go back to what someone, I guess, wants to do. Because no matter what, whenever we talk about health, and especially because I'm in the health education field, um, we could sit there and educate, educate, educate. But if someone is not willing to receive that information, like that is half of our battle is you can tell someone something, but that doesn't mean that they're going to make that choice. And it all goes back to, you know, the choices that we make, good or bad, but also what is influencing those choices. So I don't want to sit here and say that, you know, someone's health is entirely their choice, right? There are so many things that influence our choices. Um, But even our past experiences, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, something else with the food situation is like, we never want to sit here and say that food is only fuel. You know, that's something that I learned. And I actually, I, um, I worked with an organization that really believed in that, um, that, you know, there's so many other components of food than just fuel. There's enjoyment. There is like social connection that comes with sharing food Um, And we can't take that away from people and just say, you need to eat this, um, these, this amount of ounces of chicken and this amount of cups of broccoli to get this end result. You know, you want to be able to sit there with your family 
and eat abondiga for <laughs> you know all those other things because Menudo. it brings you yeah it brings you joy yeah um and half of your health is also your mental health so that's another thing that you know has become very popular i think is incorporating those mental components into health and healthcare. I was uh, talking to my wife the other day uh, and we were talking about why I have to, every time I have a plate of food in front of me, I have to make sure that when I get up from the table that the plate is empty. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, <laughs> yeah. And so that is... Uh, not only was instilled in me because of uh, my Mexican upbringing, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> but when I was in high school, there'd be times where I would go hungry because I didn't have money for food and I mm. wasn't uh, able to get like cafeteria food and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So like I would go throughout the whole day with hunger pains and just waiting to get home so that I could eat at least a little something and so that that has stuck into my mind like my past trauma mm -hmm. and my upbringing both make me like i can't leave any kind of food on my plate it's just it irritates me yep absolutely yeah. absolutely and i think that public health that's the other thing that kind of differentiates public health and medicine is that we do leave more room for like cultural aspects of health and um, more of, you know, the social influences, you know, that's a perfect example of one of the way of our upbringing influences our health um, and not just in genetics, but, you know, also the choices that we do end up making. And yeah, yeah so that's, yeah, it's a great example. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, now I'm gonna cry. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So, now that you're in this field, do you think uh, that you feel like you're fulfilled? Do you want to keep advancing? How do you feel about it, about where you're at right now? It's so funny that you say that because <laughs> before this I before we got on to this you know recording the podcast I was sitting here about maybe 30 minutes before looking at a spreadsheet that I have that shows all the jobs that I'm currently interviewing uh -huh. for and like the applications and all that stuff um but I was thinking like, what, where do I see myself in my career? And this is how I know that I chose the right career for me as well, because I can so clearly see the next five years of my life. And, you know, I actually, one of the interviews asked me that they said, you know, what is your five-year plan? And I had an answer. I was like, okay, I'm going to, you know, I want my first step to be something that I'm really, really, you know, gets my foot in the door, but I'm also, you know, feel proud of doing. And I want to be able to maintain my values in whatever work I'm doing. Yeah. And, um, and I'm able to, I feel able to do that in doing public health and the job that I am applying for, you know, it's really important to me. And, um, 
I can already see like a career path, truly. Like I want to work in the government for the first 10 years just to get those loans paid off. You know, I need that stability. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, um, and it's good experience. That's the other thing too, is like, you know, getting into the government for me, for public health, like you're getting exposed to so many different um, ways that health interacts with the public. You know, it's literally public health. So after that, once my loans are paid off, I feel like I would be able to go in the direction, in any direction that I want to afterward. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I really, really want to do, I think what kind of makes me so excited. Cosmetic about, surgery. No. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe once upon a time, but no. Um, is like working doing health policy and like working for like a think tank mm-hmm. that, um, you know, is really doing the work. And when I say the work, I'm talking about like bettering society. And that's where my heart has always been in is like solution, solution, solution. Like getting what down to the root better? cause of the problems. Yes. Like what could we be doing better and feeling like I'm contributing to changing the system I think has always been what I really, really want to do. And I can't do that as much in the government because I'm working for the system. Right. <laughs> um, but I'm learning the system. And that's what I think that, you know, I, I wouldn't take that for granted. Um, getting to know the inner workings will only make me stronger in doing the, you know, moving forward. Um, and I would love to someday like be a, a lecturer slash professor at a school eventually mm-hmm. at a university. And I literally Googled like, before you called me, like ways to stay involved after you graduate. Yeah. <laughs> like how do I continue my education and stay on top of this? And I feel lucky though. I do. I feel lucky that I chose and I figured out a career path that I love so much and that I am so passionate about and that I want to keep knowing and I want to be involved in it. I want to be integrated in um, because a lot of people don't get that opportunity. And I just feel really grateful that I found it and I want to, you know, I want to be a part of it. So I think that I'm fulfilled in what <laughs> I chose. Uh, I think a lot of people will tell you uh, TikTok university will keep you in the know. <laughs> Oh man, I have some words about that, but <laughs> uh, yeah, we're talking about society and their health. Okay, never mind. Uh, <laughs> no, um, I have been uh, like I don't watch a lot of TV, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I do get to sit down and and turn something on, I usually just go to YouTube and either I'm trying to learn something about uh, like human beings when they first started getting into like civilizations mm-hmm. uh, or like when they uh, started dominating over like when the Spain came into Mexico or all this stuff about like a long time ago. So mm-hmm. I think that um, there's a lot of information out there 
And some of it has to deal with what you're looking for and how to plug into uh, the younger generation, right? Because sometimes yeah. they'll get up up there and make their own video about whatever, you know. Um, I think that would be uh, good for you to, uh, to keep going with what you're doing, uh, being in the government, but also try to keep your uh, empathy towards people. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Try not to be like yeah. uh, Mr. Fauci. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know you're trying to be into that public sector, but uh, yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, he's a little bit different being a physician. <laughs> I think he still has like those, um, you know, like he's still a physician. He's still yeah, medically he's still in the trained. Yeah. <laughs> So I think that, you know, we saw a lot of changes in public health um, throughout the pandemic. A lot. A lot, right? Yes, a lot of changes. Yeah. What do you think? Do you think we're heading back in the right direction as far as like what you see right now? With public health? Yeah. I think that it has really created a lot more conversation around what public health is and what it could be. Mm. Um, And so I think that a lot of people are going into public health now um, with more of that, like there's, I think like two areas of public health um, within ourselves <laughs> that we really sit on. And one is still that balance of like clinical, um, like epidemiology and, you know, really tackling like the hardcore sciences, mm. um, which, you know, Dr. Fauci would be under that umbrella, you know, looking at infectious diseases and looking at chronic diseases. But then there's also this field that I think, was so hidden in hidden underneath that clinical field of public health for so long that is finally getting talked about. And that is more of the things that I do and what I like to do with, you know, looking at other things besides disease. So one of the things that I think is so amazing that I discovered when I was at UCLA and I feel grateful that I have this professor because she changed so much about the way that I think about community. Um, Her entire field of research is in violence prevention. Violence? And I, violence, violence prevention. Okay. And I thought, how is that, you know, at first I was like, how is that public health? You know, like, how does that relate? And it's, it's very simple. I mean, you know, violence results in injury or death. You know, that's a very clear pathway to health. But we don't think of it that way. We think of it as like very political or more of a social issue than a health issue. But that side of public health is saying, well, we should be looking at it as a health issue um, and ways to combat it, to move our like our communities forward outside of violence. And how is it impacting other areas of our health? Um, and so things like that are finally coming out of 
you know, they're getting more room to grow because we're getting more funding for public health and we're getting all these things that we didn't have the ability to even think about before. Um, now there's more of a focus on those things. And I think that that is a beautiful thing that we are considering more things as health um, rather than just the things that are happening to our bodies on like a molecular level. Violence does affect your health. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And I, yeah, even mental health. Yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I never, never really thought of it that way. Huh. Yeah. I, I mean, I was blown away by her. I took three classes with her. <laughs> I, yeah, I like milked that when I was in my program. Yeah. Are there any uh, special teachers out there that uh, uh, stood out to you? Uh, she was definitely one of them. Uh -huh. I think that she was, um, she was also just a very good person. And it just made so much sense that she was the professor that was doing anti-violence and like looking, cause she was so kind and so sweet and so human. Um, and so it just made so much sense. Yeah. <laughs> but I also had another professor when I was at UCLA. Um, I didn't really, I went into UCLA originally with the idea that I was going to fight the insurance systems <laughs> and I was going to fight, you know, for better health care. And especially for the aging population, I feel like that we don't have a dignified way of aging in this country. No. I think that we take all the dignity out of the older folks and we don't take care of them. No. And so I first went into public health very much thinking that I was going to be the one to fix all of that and <laughs> did not, did not happen. I became very just like all over the place in my master's program, trying to figure out where I sit and what I really want to be looking at for my future. And so I actually changed gears my last year, um, at UCLA, I like completely did a flip. I was like, okay, this insurance stuff just is really overwhelming. It's a lot. What do I like to do? What is like, where is my niche? And, um, I had a professor like my last, um, my last quarter. So it was my last class that I had to take at UCLA and her class was on advocacy skills. And, I, I was just like, okay, this, this class is like giving me like hard skills, right? Like I, I'm actually having to create things that I would, you know, use in a job rather than just getting taught to. Yeah. Um, and you know, her, her class was hard. She had a lot of assignments. Um, but in each assignment, I kind of found myself and I found that a, I can do really hard things because I got through that class. <laughs> yeah. But B, I really found that, you know, she, the way that she um, believed in us and that was why I was able to do those hard things because she told me, you can do this and I'm going to teach you how. And so I think having a professor like that 
who cared so deeply for her, her students. And she, you know, she gave us feedback and it was very honest feedback Mm -hmm. and she didn't sugarcoat things. And that's where growth happens. Absolutely. And, um, I've become, I think through grad school, I've become very used to, I think a lot of us in nature, we, we, we want to be comfortable. Hmm. You know, we don't so much like change or we continue to go back to what makes us comfortable. But I think that throughout my education, what it's taught me is that I am very comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yes. Because I think that if I'm uncomfortable, that means that something is changing and it can change for the better. It doesn't have to be a negative thing. Um, It doesn't have to be a bad change. It can be a positive change. Um, And so I think that, you know, I was so uncomfortable in that class. I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, oh, my gosh, I have no idea how to write a press release for, you know, an event that. But it's, you know, it's very applicable for what I would be doing. Um, But I was like, I don't know how to do this. And I only have two days for this deadline. How do you know, I'm like Googling, but by doing that, I had to go and do those actions on my own and sit with my discomfort and figure out how do I, instead of being like, Oh, I'm so uncomfortable. I need to fix this. It was like, how do I fix this? Yeah. It wasn't like a reaction of just fixing. Yeah. It was, how do I fix this in a way that is a positive outcome? Um, so I think that, you know, she completely changed the way that I think about my life. And I always, I will always be grateful that I stumbled into that class. And it's only one quarter, huh? Yeah, it's only 10 weeks. Wow. Which is why it's so fast paced. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, do you have any words of wisdom for somebody coming through uh, like in college or trying to get through, uh, difficult times? Yes. I would say take the time to know yourself. I think that our immediate reaction when we're going through a hard time or we're trying to figure out who we are is to try and get ourselves to the other side as fast as possible. Um, but I feel like I know myself so well because I didn't rush through those hard times where, you know, I wasn't tethered to an idea of who I was. So I was spending time trying to figure that out. Yeah. And by spending that time, I figured it out. <laughs> it came and I'm so glad that I did. So I would just say, take your time. It's okay. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Thank you, ma'am. I appreciate your insights. Uh, this is, of course. This has been a wonderful story. Uh, thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you for everything. Uh, I guess I'll talk to you later. All right. All right. Sounds good. All right. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for now. 
I want to be clear on something. No one person grows up the same. Everyone has their own opinion and how they come up with it. That's why I started this, so that I can understand you and your guide to your path. If we all have different strengths, then maybe, just maybe, we can learn from each other.